All right, friends. Welcome it's that to time for the May wrap up. Ready for some awesome. Go ahead, Jonathan. Do your. Jonathan? I'm not doing it. What? This. No, you. What? Jonathan, you always do your get ready for. That's your thing. Not, not this month. Jonathan. It is my signature, and you're, uh, you're off flirting around with other <laughs> wrap up. What are you talking about, man? Well, um,. The last couple of weeks, you've been lording it over my head that you've got options now and that you and Trip really hit it off. Oh, my goodness. You're jealous of Trip? Just, it didn't mean I mean, anything. He's, he's smart and stuff, but. Well, I mean, he's, he's got a, you know. And he's got banner. I'll give him that. He's good at witty banner. Yeah, he is. And he's got Better probably hit. the best Christian podcast whoa, 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 out whoa, whoa, there. Whoa, 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 He might have the best podcast. I don't know if you can call it Christian, though. Um, <laughs> he does have great so, hair. I am ready to wrap up his month of podcasts. I have been listening to them, catching up. Ha! Ah, can you believe he got Moltmann? Yeah, I don't um, even know who that is. That's not, that's <laughs> a, I don't even know who that is. Who met? Who, why, okay, now, just because you're upset because he said get ready for some awesome doesn't mean you need to be all passive-aggressive with me. You know I've got plenty of love for you, okay? Lots no, I, of, I don't think anybody knows that. What? The, Yesterday, I called you with a great deal of love in my heart. That's, that's true. You did. You, you did. sent me a text message that said, Leslie's in the hospital in Dallas with a miscarriage. I've met home with the kids. You got to read, read your text message again. I said, Leslie's sister is in the hospital and Leslie is with her. And you, you squeezed every bit of compassion out of that. Grinch-like heart of yours to call and and <laughs> be concerned, but it was, no, we're that was a lot of concern though. You were overwhelmed. Was, You're like, was. wow, pastoral yeah, care it, in the house. I was overwhelmed because of where it was coming from. That's why I was overwhelmed. It was not a. Uh, I was not overwhelmed with the actual compassion, just the source of the compassion. Hmm. Did you think, man, I bet Luke's got a great bedside manner once you... No, I did not. <laughs> you didn't think I that? I did not. Oh, come <laughs> on. No, that's... That, I, don't, I don't think of you and think of pastoral instincts, necessarily. What, what, the, what kind of instincts do you think I have, then? Oh, I don't know. More primal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Hey! Are you good? Are you good at uh, like hospital visits and funerals and stuff like that? Or I don't. Does that stuff? Does that bore you? <laughs> Seven on the enneagram. <laughs> so you're sick, huh? Okay. Well, don't don't you go dying on me now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the worst. How do you say you're good at those kind of things? Um, I mean, I know plenty of people who are. Really would you good say at you're them. good at at hospital visits? I, I enjoy them. How do you enjoy um, someone being sick in the hospital? Captive audience, baby. <laughs> captive audience. No, I, I love getting to know people's story. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm actually doing a, a series on my new blog on hospital visits. And that's a couple months out, but I was posting it. Yeah. How are you going to make that as clickbaity as your last few post about your <laughs> Justin Bieber and Isis and Al-Qaeda were uh, all in a single tweet that you <laughs> put out there, Heck which yeah. is like, man, it, Captain, it's hard to combine those two. Do they force you to be that clickbaity over at Pathios now? <laughs> uh, they did actually, they send you when you do, when you get on Pathios, they send you a little booklet on how to write compelling headlines. Um, but that one, that post had been written well before I decided to go to Pathios. Mm-hmm. So, so you were doing the clickbait stuff on your own. I, okay, first <laughs> off, I wasn't. I, I am not selling out to clickbait. Oh, okay. I, I was trying to. Those connections are legitimate connections. Mm-hmm. I thought in my head, yeah. and I don't know how else to describe a post mm-hmm. that connects Justin <laughs> Bieber's baptism to ISIS and Al Qaeda. Then saying this is what I'm trying to do in the in the. This tweet. is my tweet for the May wrap up. Jonathan Stormont says Al-Qaeda and Justin Bieber are a lot alike. Listen to the podcast to find out how. <laughs> okay, let's do okay. it. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. So we have um, 
Uh, we have some science and religion talk with uh, Paul Wallace. We've got uh, two Richard Beck things, so I think we'll kind of wrap those into one single Devil Palooza, reviving old scratch kind of subject matter. We've got uh, Rodrigo Garcia talking about the movie Last Days in the Desert, and we have Sally Gary finally on the podcast talking about a lot of good stuff. So uh, yeah, I guess uh, let's start with uh, with Wallace. How about that? I I um have never heard of him or that book, and that normally when you interview a guest, I like know something about them, but I I was really impressed with him. Yeah, yeah. I um so I got you know you you get books in the mail from from publisher now just from your your blog. Um, you know, Trip and I do too. And uh, <laughs> I, I got this one in the mail, and I read the first couple of pages, and I thought this one sounds really interesting. And the guy, um. I'd never heard of. I didn't know much about him, but uh, where's he at? He is in Georgia. Uh, I forget what college he teaches at, but it's uh, he's he's from Atlanta originally. He teaches somewhere around there in Georgia. Did he remind you at all of Science Mike? Because they both talk about science. Yeah, and because they both lost their faith and kind of oh yeah uh, yeah. So they both had had grew up in a conservative Christian home. Both Actually, both of them grew up Baptist. They both went away from faith. Now they both have uh, returned to faith. Do you think there's a connection there? Do you think there are a lot of people who uh, grow up conservative, have a scientifically um, geared educational track or interest uh, or affinity, and then end up lo- losing faith? Do you think that story is often told? Oh, yeah, without doubt. Um, I think there's a, the bow and arrow theory. You know, the further that it's pulled back the further it goes when it's released and so huh. you know did you make up you that see people, like that's I, I heard it from a professor the bow and arrow just theory. the somebody who comes from like a, a super super conservative background when they get introduced to stuff like evolution it's like all right see you in atheism oh because there's no there's no middle ground it's one or the right. other and so and one yeah so i mean Richard Rohr's stuff on growing up conservative is the best way to grow mm-hmm. up. Um, I think it's true up to a point, but if it, if it, and I, I've said this to friends who I've seen raising their kids just super, without any mystery whatsoever, mm-hmm. without any like, well, you know, there's lots of ways God could have created the world, but here's how I did yeah. it, or here's how I, I, <laughs> I didn't create the world. <laughs> here's how I, I think God might have done it. Um, I think. Okay, if you raise your kids super dogmatic without any hint of doubt, mm-hmm. then whenever they get exposed to other ideas, um, it's going to be a lot harder for them to kind of kind of come back. Yeah, so or not come yeah. back, but to uh, integrate that into their worldview. I've heard that people. Uh, I've heard this people say just about people in the churches of Christ, but I would assume it's universal to like conservative evangelical traditions that if you grow up super conservative, and then you lose your faith uh, or you have some issue, you're not comfortable to go back to other types of churches, and so you're less likely to go to any church at all. Whereas if you're from a more mm. um, forward-thinking, more inclusive kind of, more of a progressive church, you have a faith trouble, well, you might not come back to that, like, Church of Christ church, but you'll go to some other church. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I've seen that Have lot. you really? Yeah, and, and one of the questions I have just about our own tribe, which probably won't be interesting to the, a lot of your listeners, but, you know, I am, I, these are my people, Churches of Christ are my people. I love ecumenical Churches of Christ, um, but I also love, I mean, I love, the, I love even the people in Churches of Christ who are sectarian, but I love ecumenical Churches of Christ. The problem is, I wonder, we are a unity movement, and can a unity movement continue to exist without staying sectarian yep. because we you know disperse basically yeah that's true that's true okay well let's circle back uh so the evolution thing um or but the science and religion thing which is definitely a connection science mike and paul wallace have in common i'll tell you a connection you and and paul wallace have in brilliance. common is uh yeah yeah you're brilliant you were both in the lower 10 percent of your <laughs> class and i think Man, y'all must have just really hit it off from there. <laughs> That's, I mean, the difference being Duke versus, you know, 
whatever school you went to in West Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, that was when I went to elementary school. But uh, thank. Is that why you transferred from Harding? Mm-hmm. Was it just too academically <laughs> too, too rigorous to get it for you? Yes. <laughs> when uh, when people say, Luke, how did you get into college when you're 16? You never graduated high school. I always say, guys, let's be honest. I went to school in Arkansas. It's not that hard to get into any school in Arkansas. That's how I got into college as a 16-year-old with no high school diploma. I also did not have a high school diploma and got into the same college you did. I know. So. That's my point. I mean, it's not really that yeah. impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I feel like, okay, go ahead and make a few more jokes. I want to talk about God and stuff like that. So I'll wait for you if you want to keep doing that. I, I loved Paul's stuff on God is not an idea. Okay. He's a fundamental reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how do you, do you think you know people, or do you see how some people structure God in their world as just an idea? Are you kidding? I preach at a church in a college town with a ton of really, really smart people. And I think our tribe, I think a lot of Christian tribes have done this in America, we're Cartesian through and through. We think the most important things about us, like Jamie Smith last month was talking about, is what we think about things. Yeah. Um, and and I think that is a huge shift that has to be made for Christians in the West. Uh, there, there's some quote, I can't remember who it's from, I think it might be Leonard Sweet, who said, in the future, the only Christians will be mystics. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is what they're talking mm-hmm. about. People who have experienced God as a fundamental reality and, and not just weird, strange experiences, but experiencing the world as sustained by God and not that God is a theological idea. Yep. I mean, that, that stuff's important, mm-hmm. but it's not. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, like you listen to some of the guests, like an N.T. Wright is someone who's helped reshape a lot of people's theology. And I think he has a theology that isn't just ideas. But there are people who definitely do that, and then there are other people who the thrust of their work is encouraging people to, like, experience God. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a strain of people who are kind of disenfranchised by certain attempts to try to uh, experience God, and there's others who find, like, the Richard Rohr kind of embracing, you know, the presence of God all around you and living in this, like, you know, spirituality in which the big question is, like, am I awake? Am I aware to the presence of God around me? Like, mm-hmm. I, I love, and I think that's the connection that Rohr has for so many of us, is it's in a way to move theology from just this ideological practice, like, you know, this is God, this is what, but to like an experiential thing where you, you, you grasp, you have that sort of mystical element to your faith. So yeah, I, yeah. I like it. I like it. My, I think my favorite part of the podcast was when he goes, so, uh, Luke, what's the French word for boat? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, and and I think he was assuming he was talking to someone who was <laughs> way more cultured <laughs> than he actually was. I didn't even know that they had boats in France, so I didn't know what that word mm. was. What I, I think he should have figured out that that was the wrong. Qu- he was asking the wrong person. By the way, you were killing the word anthropocentric. <laughs> <laughs> you just you asked him like a dozen times. Am am I saying that? How do you say this big word, anthropos? (laughs) Isn't that what you use to kill ants? I don't use that stuff in (laughs) sermons. Um, Okay, so I literally, I I missed it in the book somehow. He said in the book that um, his bout with alcoholism is what, uh, is one of the reasons that he was connected back to God. Um, Yeah. I, I somehow missed that in the book. But I find that to be really fascinating for as, you know, intellectual as a person as he was, obviously, you know, you got a PhD uh, from Duke in, like, nuclear physics. Uh, you're a pretty brilliant person, but he really still needed something to help him make sense of his own issues, of uh, his own brokenness, whatever word you want to put in there, and that's what circled him back into religion, right? Like, everyone has yeah. something. You have to deal with the, the crappy nature of your own humanity somehow, and, yeah, God, God's part of that. Okay, I... You remember Ian Cron's thing on the greatest thing American Christianity will have given the world when it's all said and done is the twelve step program. Oh wow, I didn't. I, I don't remember him saying that, but I could definitely co-sign on that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I think that's that is the way a lot of people come back to faith when God is just an idea and an idea that they're able to write off is getting in touch with how broken they actually are. No. I think. Uh, 
when it's all said and done, one of the greatest things that the Newsworthy with Northworthy podcast ever gave to Christianity was the Devil Palooza. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. Do you like that transition right it there? It was the most. I That's did. Good. That Devil Palooza was the most hipster thing I have ever what? been to in my How life. How so? It. It was basically like a, a speakeasy or whatever <laughs> up on a Malibu re- rooftop. Uh-huh. Um, I, I and what was so funny is that there was also like you know preachers from Oklahoma <laughs> who were totally not getting what was happening. They just knew that NT Wright was supposed <laughs> to be there. And we wonder what you know, that audience was going to be like because you have uh, Trips ragtag group of um, you know homeless people and druggies and all that, whatever they are. And then you had like the, the, the Christian people from Pepperdine and it was, it was interesting mixing that group together. But the Christians were really ministering to Yeah, that's the, what I was there for. The misfits, <laughs> yeah. Wait, which group would you see yourself in? You know, I, I'm non-dualistic. I see myself <laughs> as kind of like an everyman. Gosh. Yeah, yeah, that's, I could see that. So the Devil Palooza, fascinating mm-hmm. stuff. Was there a line um, better than when... Tripp said, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing my liberal cred- credibility um, by agreeing with you. I feel uncomfortable. And N.T. Wright goes, how do you think it makes me feel when we agree so much? <laughs> oh, man, that was, that was amazing. That was so funny. Yeah. The, how did you feel up there doing that? I mean, because those are, those are some of the most influential people in the Christian world. you yes, got the most are. influential yeah. Christian podcaster. Yes, we are. <laughs> you you have this gift of taking an insult <laughs> and making it a compliment like none other. We, but how did you honestly? How did you feel being up there with N.T. Wright, Greg yeah, Boyd, so, Tony Jones, so at one Richard point, Beck? It was just uh, Tom, Greg, and I up there on the stage, and I don't know where Beck went. Trip was probably off. I don't know what shooting up in the back or something. And I'm kidding. He didn't shoot up. Um, he was. Oh gosh. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a real dark morning for me. I'm sorry, guys. It is a really dark morning. <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm just there on the stage between Greg, Greg Boyd, and NT Wright, and I think to myself, "Get out of here, Luke. Abandon ship. You can't stay up here too long." <laughs> uh, so that was pretty. That was pretty crazy. I mean, it was great to sit up there um, with you know. Greg Boyd is someone who I've, um, you know, there's a season I listen to a ton of sermons, and he was one of them, and I've read a lot of his books, and they've been really meaningful to me, and obviously N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I combined probably have close to 100 books with his name on it, right, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think I have everything he's yeah. ever written. I have two shelves of N.T. Wright books. Um, I, I thought it was fascinating because of two things, where those guys overlap theologically mm-hmm. And two, where they didn't. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, like, they're, speaking of things being an idea and abstract, that's, we were talking about spiritual warfare yep. in a way that was. And then Greg Boyd comes in and just tells that story that was, you know. So, you and I talked about this last weekend when we were hanging out. But when I heard, what did you think when you heard that oh, story? My first thought was... I would. I, I want someone to respond to this, not named Luke Norsworthy. I wanted someone else to respond and push back <laughs> against it. And I think I even tried to ask a follow-up question to get someone to do that. I think I asked Richard to follow up, which, um, yeah. But, okay. He's way more yeah, gracious than... way more than, gracious than me. I don't think anyone debated that. Um, well, okay, if unfiltered, un, unedited mm-hmm. Luke, what, what would that Luke say to that story? I would story? say that... If I had to bet on this, which a lot of people, there's a, I, I, I guess a whole subculture of people who bet on demonic possessions, and I might be one of them. If I had to <laughs> bet what exactly was going on, I would put the odds on it being some sort of uh, mental health breakdown. But I would always leave margin to say that, that I'm not saying that there isn't some crazy, weird, dark stuff that happens in the world. I would just say the overwhelming majority of it... Um, could also would probably be defined as like mental health stuff. Yeah, I would say the overwhelming majority of your world, but if you spend time in the developing world, and not that there's not mental illness stuff mm-hmm. there too, but for some reason, um, in places where they're more open and porous, they, they, I mean, I, 
when I because Abilene has a lot of refugees, and when I spend time with people in from from other developing yep. countries, they have the craziest stories, and they're yeah, anyway. but they're not. But they're not I, looking I, at the the DSM four as an inventory of options of you know what could be causing the struggle. Yeah, but sometimes the stories are not like the DSM four can't cover it unless you totally just think the people who yeah. seem very sane in front of you right now. Um, yeah. Just just imagine somebody called that a witch doctor called yeah. down lightning. It, the struggle with my perspective is that it can be demeaning to other people's experience and act like, oh, well, I'm an enlightened Westerner who has, you know, a DSM-4 on the shelf, and I can just say this is what the mental health issue or this is what the and, – and I think that – I think that's definitely the flaw in it because I'm not um, so arrogant to think that all of it can really be understood with Western education. I get that. Right, but you're you're pretty arrogant. I mean, let's get I didn't, that I, out. I said I wasn't that arrogant to do <laughs> so, that. Right. Okay. To, okay. But just somewhat. Just somewhat arrogant. We're not gonna. We don't so, need to split oh, hairs over this. But when I when I heard that story, I immediately was like, "Huh. Okay." And um, I I my first move wasn't skepticism. And when you and I were talking about that this weekend, the reason you know i was just processing out loud but the reason is you know i grew up in poverty and um you know not like not not extreme poverty but below the poverty line and i hung out with people who also grew up in poverty and i i to the, this earlier this week i was back in arkansas and i went to visit somebody in a nursing home who the language that they had for it was the devil's really attacking me right now and um, their body was failing, their spirits were mm-hmm. down, and um, it was and it, it was two things. It was one. It was an example of what Beck was talking about because this guy, who's just a great guy, was able to put the blame on something non-human, mm-hmm. and it helped him treat his family and nurses with grace. Yep. Um, but the other thing is this was the guy, this is my best friend's dad. And I remember growing up and him telling me stories about, uh, he, he used to date a woman who he found out later was a witch. I hate when that happens. And <laughs> I dated one yeah. guy like that too. Oh, are you, are yeah. you saying like a, yeah, just a, a literal witch or just like, oh, she's the worst. Yeah, like, no, like a oh, literal okay. witch. No, no, no. Like, I, was, I wasn't talking about that. Yeah, right. No, I'm sure that. The, the woman that you dated is somewhere saying something similar <laughs> about that. No. Um, no, and he would, I mean, he told the story when I was, I guess, 14 years old about how um, at one point they were talking about the devil and the, the radio came on in the back room and he went and to turn it off and it was unplugged. Mm-hmm. And I, I know... Because it was battery powered probably? <laughs> yeah, this was not... Back when they had, they didn't have battery powered. Um, that must be nice to be so rich to have battery powered <laughs> radios. But I, I heard that story, and I think it's those kinds of stories shaped my imagination. And I, I'm, I have a decent amount of skepticism in me too. But it's not my first move. No, yeah. I, I was talking to my dad, and he told a story about uh, uh, a patient that he was working with one time. And it was a, a story that my dad would say, there's clearly something else going on. And my dad's a you know, psychologist. And so he didn't, his only move was not to say, oh, this is a DSM-4. But he would say, okay, there's something, something that exists that's beyond there. And, and like you're touching on with, with Beck's point about when you blame it on the devil, it, it enables you to see other people as not the enemy, which is a strong like, Christian principle to say that uh, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And right. it... it de-villainizes the people around you, which is, I think, very healthy. I think Beck's book is a real gift to progressive Christians because um, I think if we we were able to incorporate this into our, you know, passion and anger for social justice, we would stop demonizing people. Yes. We'd stop publicly shaming them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, there there would be, you know, and obviously there's a time to hold people to account and things like that. But if the battle isn't against flesh and blood, then you're, Tim Keller in his book Preaching talks about how, and, and he's writing to probably a more conservative audience, but he says you've got to realize, you've, you've got to start viewing people who you disagree with when it comes to the secular age as people to be rescued um, from captivity, not as the enemy. Hmm. And that that move, I think, is important for both conservative and progressive Christians because fundamental to the Jesus story is that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. And I think anything that helps you see that whoever is, quote-unquote, in your way is not actually the opposition is a good move. It's really helped me with you just to be able what to... What do you mean? You know, I mean, just to not be so antagonistic and, mm-hmm. and to realize, all right, there are principalities and powers at work in Luke's life, and those are really the enemies, not... Does that make you feel better saying that kind of stuff? <laughs> do you feel better you know, by yourself right now? I do. Yeah. I do. You know what made me feel better? Watching a good movie a few weeks ago. <laughs> a movie that was written and directed by Rodrigo Garcia named Last Days in the Desert. Yeah. How, what, was that a good movie? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, so Lindsay and I went down um, to like some studio in Hollywood when we were out at uh, Pepperdine on Friday. And uh, we go down there and it's like this fancy like Hollywood place thing. And um, so we walk in and <clears throat> there's, uh, they're like, oh, we'll take you to the screen room, Mr. Norsworthy. And so we walk to the screening room and Mr. Lindsay's like, uh, let's take a selfie. He's like, Lindsay, do not take a selfie. Act like you've been here before. <laughs> 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 so I get a text from you like I do with every time you get an email from Rob Bell with a screenshot of <laughs> of it saying, oh, I'm sorry, were you trying to get a hold of me? But this time it wasn't Rob Bell. This time it was your feet propped up in a screening room <laughs> watching a movie. And I, I literally care about you, Jonathan. I always want to be available, but sometimes I'm not. And I'm just trying to reach back out to you if you needed something. <laughs> well, the worst part is like Lindsay's in the theater and she goes, I don't feel good. I'm like, Lindsay? Suck it up, okay? We're we're watching a movie. We're gonna do this. Did she get sick and, at Pepperdine? Yeah, well she ended, she ended up long story short, that evening we're still in um some ER up in Calabasas or something. She has like a kidney infection or something, and I'm like Oh man. Okay, Lindsay, I guess you really were sick and <laughs> blah blah blah. Um, you used all your compassion on calling me for the Yeah. yeah. For my sister in law's miscarriage. I offered to get her some water. And that was really nice of me. Now, uh, well, St. Luke. Mm-hmm. That's true. So uh, we watched the movie, and uh, it was a. I don't know about you. When I watch most Christian movies, I have a sense of, oh, let's see if the story's going to be right. And I've, like, I know where the story <laughs> goes. And okay, I know Noah's going to build a boat, and the world's going to all die except for Noah and his family. I know how that story goes. Um, yeah. And if it's, you know, the passion of the Christ, I know what happens in the end. Spoiler alert, he dies. And, like, so I, I, I have a sense of, like, I'm a judge and I'm critiquing this story. It's basically completely uh, made up. And so there's a sense, of, okay, I can just enjoy this and not have to be as critical of it as I am of other Christian movies. Yeah, yeah. So um, you, I, I don't understand the storyline. I know not just from your podcast, but from other people's podcasts, like Ewan McGregor is both Jesus and Satan. And mm-hmm. there's some little boy and relationship with the father. And Yeah, yeah. So the storyline is that they're, they're out in the desert. Jesus is leaving his 40 days of temptation in the desert. And as he's going back into town, he finds a family. It's a sick mother, a father, and a boy. And the boy wants to go to the big city. The father doesn't want him to leave. And so there is a father-son tension there that is supposed to be representative of Jesus' tension as the son of God with God. And so it's a story about fathers and sons that way. Okay. And so the devil... So Garcia says in the podcast that he needed someone else who actually knew Jesus' identity because the family, the mother, father, and the boy don't know... And so they needed the devil, and he thought, what if the devil is the same person as playing Jesus? Uh-huh. 
And I don't think he was trying to make a statement with that initially. But the more I thought about it, like the more I thought, often isn't like the greatest enemy that most of us have like inside of ourselves. Yeah. Right? Um, I don't know. I, oh, so Amy Poehler, her her book, you know, the woman from Parks and Rec. You know Amy Poehler, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, not personally yet. But she has, she calls the voices inside her head demon voices in her book. Hmm. The The stuff that, you know, you're... You're too fat. You're too skinny. You're too. Yeah. And so, do you I, get do you get most of your uh, education on like demons and stuff from people who are on uh, Parks and Rec and like Saturday Night Live? Is that kind of where yeah. you get most of your information? That okay. was that and bossy pants have been the most formative. That's understandable. Tina Fey's bossy pants, which is a yeah. great book, by the way, if you haven't mm-hmm. read it. No. Uh, so, I, I mean, I do think there's something to that, but the, I mean, just like what Richard was saying the the spiritual warfare there is there is a real thing outside of us but it does often speak through us yeah do you have that saying hang up about christian movies that um... oh yeah and i'm man i'm not a cynical person normally but when it comes to um christian subculture stuff i'm i tend to be more more cynical than any other time uh, christian fiction i'm like oh, i know how this is going to end nobody's yeah. going to die and at the end, the main character is going to ask Jesus into their heart or something. Yeah. So, and, and you always have the the professor whose greatest desire is to do- destroy people's faith. <laughs> yeah. And you have like this character of what non Christian people are all like. You know, they're yeah. all whatever. So uh, I just posted on my blog today that Eugene Peterson and Bono sitting down and talking. Yeah. Have you seen that video? I've seen a clip of it. Bono Bono talks about the reason he loves. He actually critiques christian art because he loves the the raw honesty of the psalms and um and he he actually i have this quote in front of me he says when he hear when he would hear the psalm he would think well gosh why isn't church music more like that and then he said i find there's a lot of dishonesty in christian art and that's a shame because these are people who are vulnerable to god in a good way they're open and i would love it if the christian art there were there were songs about he said write a song about your bad marriage write a song about how you're pissed off at the government because mm-hmm. god honors truthfulness and god's big enough to handle it and he says he's suspicion he's suspicious of christians because they lack this realism in art and life and music yeah and Okay, so we're we're doing a, a series uh, on the book of Ruth uh, together and by together. I mean, you're copying my stuff. Um, oh. And um, so there's this the first, like the story about uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law. She loses her husband and her kids. And then she says, don't call me Naomi, pleasant, which is that's what Naomi means, but call me Mar, which means bitter. And there's part of me that wants to say, Okay, this is a typical move. You know, you called yourself bitter when, you know, you shouldn't do that. And make her out to be, like, an example of someone who doesn't have enough faith. And that's like my, I feel like the preacher move, like, that's, oh, of course, that's what we're going to do here. Because she, she's not grateful for what she has or whatever. But and, the Bible never condemns her for doing it. But the Bible never condemns her. Yeah. And it seems like that's not the kind of honesty that we're typically accustomed to in church where people can just say, you know what? I am empty handed right now and I'm bitter and I'm upset about this. And that's honest. So I think Richard's stuff on devil Palooza was actually like Americans are addicted to sadness is a disease for Americans. And so we treat it like that. And the Jewish and I think Christians and the rest of the world, I think even the categories like winter and summer Christians probably wouldn't make sense to most of the world, most of global Christians, because um, they're going to be, I mean, seasons change, mm-hmm. and so does your kind of pathos when those seasons yeah. change. Yeah. If you're always going to be happy, you're not going to be able to be fully present in a lot of moments. Like if your kid's sick or your wife's in the hospital, you, you just can't always have one facet of the human emotion sphere. Right. You know, it's just not consistent. You might, yeah, because if you did, you might be like, uh, you know, Lindsay, just suck it up and watch the movie. Yeah, and I know. stop talking. You, you could get like that bad. That would be terrible. It would be terrible. Okay, can I do my, uh, 
monthly Chesterton mention oh, at this point? Fine. <laughs> Let me go ahead and write this down, so I'll cut it right here. 34. No, you, speaking of cutting, speaking of cutting, I love how uh, the director says to you, "Hey, you should probably edit this part out so it won't spoil the end of this multi-million-dollar movie." And you're like, "Nah, no, it's fine. It's fine. it'll be fine." No. He said, "If you okay. want to," he said, "If if you think it'll spoil it," and I said, "It's your movie. If you want to spoil it, that's fine." <laughs> Yeah, I think he actually was a little more forceful than if you want to. I think he started being like, yeah, go ahead and do this. And you're like, ah. You know, this is gotcha journalism, man. Gotcha. You got to tune into this right here for a spoiler of Rodrigo Garcia's last days in the desert. So That's how you would have tweeted here, that. Yeah, boom. There's your wrap up. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think your, your point to him about how approaching a, a movie about Jesus has got to be challenging because – Preachers every Christmas, every Easter, we don't know. I mean, everybody knows the story. Jesus is born. Mm-hmm. Jesus is raised from the dead. Um, Chesterton in Everlasting Man says something that I think connects to why movies like this matter. He says, imagine if Christianity were a city and you had grown up in this massive city. You were familiar with certain roads and potholes and, you know, you knew the... You knew the flaws of the city and all that, but you never really could quite get the scope of it because you grew up inside it. He said your only real options would be to learn, to go on a tour of the city and really learn it from the inside. And your next best option would be to leave the city and step outside of it and go go far enough away that you could see just how big it is. Mm-hmm. And it's there that he says you would find, you know, Christianity's given the world hospitals and universities and leprosoriums and orphanages and you know all these amazing things. That, but you just take for granted the the kind of Christian social ethic that has changed the world because you don't see it for as it truly is because you can't see something until you see it for the first time. And I think movies like this help do that because you know it's it's definitely not going to fall underneath. Uh, you know, is this is this a true portrayal of Jesus? No, but they're they're trying to be somewhat connected to the yeah, there's, gospels that sound like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so movies like this help you step outside the city and see it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So um I I thought what was fascinating about y'all's interview, and I didn't I I had no idea what this was gonna be about. But I thought it was kind of like getting a glimpse into the original gospel writers as directors. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because the way he said it was they disagree at some points. I don't think they do. I don't think they disagree. I mean, there's a synoptic problem. I get that. But the I, I don't think it's a problem as much as it is directors trying to tell different slants on the same story. Yeah, you know they 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 disagree because they make they have different choices they're making. Yeah, they're writing to different That's audiences a, and and yeah. hearing him talk about the choices he was making to you know like to put the crucifixion scene at the end because he wanted it to overlap with the historical Jesus and uh, how yeah. son and father that that was the you know I I just thought yeah. that was interesting. Yeah, it it, it gives it a more. Um, incarnate view of storytelling to see that like everyone who's telling the story is making choices on how they want the story to be heard yeah and you hear that with garcia how he does it yeah yeah it's good okay anything else in the movie i i look forward to seeing it with all the regular common folk yeah yeah good luck um oh and there was there was nudity in that movie the the um the version that we saw i think the one in the theater they they remove that okay for the for the christians so yeah. as your accountability partner should we talk about that now or do you want to talk about that offline that we'll, you... we'll do that one offline okay okay yeah we'll do that next one um yeah next time we talk um thank you though for that um, you're welcome <clears throat> always trying to take care of you yeah and that's when i think of you i think oh he's always taking care of me thank um, you by you're welcome my servants yeah <laughs> oh, so sally <laughs> gary our old friend, Sally, finally on the podcast. I glad love Sally. Happened. I'm very glad that you... You know, we went to church together for like five years before she abandoned so I, Abilene and moved to Dallas. And, you know, she said that when they moved Centerpiece to, I guess, uh, Highland Oaks in Dallas, mm-hmm. um, 
she said that one of the big reasons she was really excited about you know getting good preaching, and I don't I don't understand how that affects. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Because oh, no Mike way. Cope had been her preacher for 20 years. You think? Are you trying to say that about? I, I think you're it's just never, like a hard you're never going to get to preach at Pepperdine again. again. No, Mike, I, my one. Mike's a wonderful preacher. Yeah, so, he is. And yeah. he's my favorite. I look forward to future invitations. Unlike yeah. some people. Mm. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. What? So no, no, no. So, so I got a uh, text message from a friend saying, "You sounded nervous talking about the LGBTQ subject with Sally." Yeah? I don't think I was... Did you sense that? Did I come across nervous? No, just your really super anxious self that you always are. (laughs) What what is... What's struggle... What's what's perplexing is that when you're talking about a subject like the LGBTQ community, compared to, say, getting a perspective on a movie like we just discussed, the, uh, the political correct police are far more likely to come out and send you emails talking about this subject than a movie or some of the other books. And to be fair, I mean, like, one of the reasons I'm very cautious about, you know, I don't talk about stuff on social media. It's because the, I mean, there's a lot of, like, teenage suicides and, um, you know, this is, sexuality is really um, a really central part of our humanity yeah and it's complex and there's no easy answers and and it needs a lot of not just nuance but it needs a lot of like relationship and that's where i think sally has been really helpful um she she mentioned in that podcast that she and i co-preached together at highland about about this and i think that's that's where these conversations need to happen. They don't need to be tweets. They don't need to be yeah. disembodied. And, and I mean, it's like what changed you calling people gay as a slur was a friend that you realized it humanized it yep. for you. So. Yep. Yeah, that's 100% agree. And like you said, I mean, the numbers are like a, uh, a teen who's in the LGBTQ community is like 20 times mm-hmm. more likely to commit suicide. I don't some number like that, which is just ridiculous, which speaks to just the complexity of how churches handle it, you know, the struggle it is for, you know, young people wrestling with identity and sexuality, and it seems like whatever we do with the subject, mm-hmm. let's start with love. Like, that has to be the general disposition you have, because whatever's happened before, you've caused kids to be, to be 20 times more likely to end their own life, which is just saying yeah. there's a and, huge you know, problem. I, I th- so Sally and I, when we addressed it, we talked about the idolatry of sexuality because there, I think there are multiple layers of conversations that have to be had before you get to um, the conversations that we're trying to have, which are just surface conversations. The, you know, why, why has one conversation I think the church has got to enter into is why have we bought into the idea that if you are a celibate human being, you are not a full human being. When that was actually one of the great gifts Christianity gave to women and sexual minorities when it first came on the scene. And now we've made it to where, I mean, I don't know about you, but growing up, honeymoon sex was ranked just slightly below the return of Jesus and the restoration of all things. Was it? There's a lot. There's a lot to respond to right there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to take the high road. There's always a first because um, it just, yeah. And well, I think the reason sexuality is held up to be a very high thing is like it's like Genesis sure, one, yeah, yeah. like be fruitful, multiply. It's kind of starts like the story, and and humanity does not exist without sexuality. So the appeal and interest in sexuality. Needs to be pretty substantial for the so existence of humanity. So here's my cynicism, though. Love was invented okay. by guys like me to sell nylons. Don Draper. Like the, <laughs> I think I think what you just said is true, but I don't think that's where we're coming at it from. I I don't okay, I don't think love. I, I think what and I don't watch 
Don Donovan Draper. Mad Men? Oh yeah, my I don't gosh. watch. I typically just read read Bibles and stuff I, like that. So I don't, I've never, sure, sure. I don't watch the show. That um, explains but, your basic, very basic grasp of the Book of Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not so basic when you're copying and pasting. <laughs> um, but the. I, okay, I think the reason I do not Nylon, copy your sermons. We are. It's okay if you do. But if you do I haven't. I I used the redneck joke. That is the only <laughs> thing I've used in the sermons that I've written Dude, so far. It's fine, man. It's really. It's there's no shame in that. There would Frank. be shame because if I was trying to preach the notes that you have, it would sound oh. like I was just this angry, belligerent. You know. I, I mean, but the, the, the thing about my notes is you have to care enough about your job to memorize them, so you don't mm-hmm. need the notes on the stage. So if I was just like you, and turning to page seven that in my notes, one, B, two is, I, okay. I look at my notes maybe five or six times during a sermon. And that might be the five or six times that people, if they saw your eye contact, would finally receive a word from the Lord. <laughs> and I'm just not willing to sacrifice that. So I would just want to make sure I have a word from the Lord, not just ramblings from my angry emails that i Printed off and memorized. <laughs> um, okay, so we back to Salagiri. Oh, here's what I was saying. I was saying, I think, here's, here's what I think the church has got to reclaim. God is for your desires, but you have to, God wants to lead you into the desires you actually have, not the ones that you have been, that have been manufactured by a capitalist economy that just cares about profit. And yeah. and what happens, and this is what Mad Men is genius at, but it's not just a show. I mean, it's reality. What happens is those basic human impulses like sexuality and community. I mean, this Shane Hips talks about it, how, how those things get manipulated and tied to stupid stuff so that we buy more than we than we need. Yeah. We and and yeah. anyway, so here's what I think Sally Gary does just really, really well. And and by the way, if you're a church and this is a, a subject that y'all are talking about right now, I, I highly commend Sally Gary to you because safe spaces and conversation really is her mission. It is yeah. not to get your church to land on a on a certain you know place in this. It is you know these there are LGBTQ people in every church, and they have a deep desire for God and a deep desire to belong, and um, you probably aren't even aware of them. Yeah. I, I think what Sally does is, before you have any conversations, there needs to be an understanding that your response to your kid saying, I'm gay, is never to shun them. Right. The response oh, right. of any any person in your church saying that to you is never well. Then get out of here. It's never that. Like there, that is. I don't care where you land on the subject. It always starts with love and concern for an actual human being. Like, and that's what. Yeah. It, it, there's nothing. There's no safe space if you can't do that. And so I love that. That's, you know, Sally's campaign is to go around and deal you know, with a lot of churches and people who struggle to get to that place. And I'll be honest, I, I can't condemn them because there's a place in my life when I was younger where that's where I was. And yeah. until right. I actually knew someone when I got to college who would be self-identified in the LGBTQ community, I never understood their... I, I, I never saw their humanity. And that, I think, everything breaks down when you don't see the image of God in other people. Yeah. So I, what, what you're just saying about love first... I thought her point about John 8, about, you know, going to no more passage, Jesus doesn't say that until he has totally upended all the religious norms of his day. I mean, he's going to get killed for what he just did. That that mm-hmm. story ends with them walking off trying to figure out the game plan to get him on a cross. And and you know what? A Kenneth, Kenneth Bailey, who I think actually died this week, a new... New Testament guy, lived in the Middle East for a long time. He says he thinks the reason that John 8 isn't in the original manuscripts is because the scribes in the Middle East wouldn't copy it. Hmm. Because they knew in an honor-shame culture and where honor was put primarily, or at least a lot of it, was on the sexuality of the women. 
um, they knew what that would do or they were worried about what that would do. And so they wouldn't copy it. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but it's very, a very fascinating take on it. Yeah. Since when did preachers care if <laughs> the story is true? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I feel like we've wrapped up the entire month very succinctly and, uh, got a nice bow on it. Um, next month. Yeah. What's coming you know, up? We have in the, We've got uh, Josh Graves makes his valiant return to the podcast. What's he talking about? Did you see the story uh, PBS did about some of the stuff oh, that he was doing? Oh, man. I, yes, I love that. Yeah. So JG's back on, Josh Graves. Um, we've got a couple others that I think are, are going to happen. Jonathan Martin's probably going to end up on the podcast. Have you read that book yet? I haven't got a copy of the book yet, no. Man, I can't wait. I, I loved Prototype. Yeah, I like the dude. Good, good guy. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm ex- looking forward to talking with him. Uh, we'll see. I got a few others uh, in the mail that, uh, that are interesting. Um, Shane Claiborne's got a new book that just came out, or it's about to come out. And, it's about um, the death penalty, right? Yes, yeah. So it'll be a real killer. And hey, then Texas pastor, are you for the death penalty? Excuse me? I said you're a Texas pastor. So. Yes, that is a good question. Um, and we'll talk about that more whenever we get Shane Claiborne <laughs> on the podcast in seven Way weeks. Way to sidestep. Hey, um, you should totally do, uh, what is it, the blue-collar comedy guy, Ron, Ron White. Uh-huh. How he says about tech, you know, I'm from, he's so proud of it. I'm from Texas. Other states are trying to abolish the, the death penalty. We put in an express lane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm going to do my opening joke with Shane is, hey, your book, Irresistible Revolution, did really, really good. I'm, you showed a ton of books. So did you, like, go out and treat yourself to, like, a new car or like a Lexus or <laughs> BMW or something. <laughs> Get you some nice new clothes or anything. Yeah. yeah hey, I'm... ask ask Shane about what he would say to people who who have the shame based fear of being ordinary and the the radical things that he's doing. But what do you do when you you know hypothetically, let's say you're a father of four, about to be a father of five, and you know you. You do a lot of stuff, but you also have this overhanging guilt because of the irresistible yeah. revolution. No, that's that's an interesting subject because the whole like radical stuff of you know I'm taking my discipleship really seriously. Um, you know what does that look like when you're not a single guy living by yourself? Um, he's not living by himself. He's an intentional community. Yeah, but, yeah, I understand that, but there, yeah, there's a difference not, in your example yeah. of someone who has. A uh, obsessive amount of children and uh, lives in the suburbs. Yeah, Jonathan. I hope it was a good month, man. I hope that uh, you uh, have kind of dealt with some of your shame-based fear of being ordinary um, with Trip Fuller, and you guys can reconcile as well. Yeah, I, I hope so too. You know, being around you always does help me deal with my shame-based fear of being ordinary. Because I'm just a source of love for you, and I'm glad that that's your experience, and I'm sure it's many others. <laughs> and for all of you out there, <laughs> good night and goodbye. <laughs> all right, that was good, Walter Cronkite. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>